Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series here at our church. As we've crossed into the year 2020 and have finished up the past decade, we will look back at how the past 10 years have revealed some sobering statistics concerning church affiliation and Christian commitment, specifically in regards to the millennial generation with frightening implications for the next generation. This will be one of the most important series that we ever examine here at Grace. We want to thank you for walking with us as we seek to stem the tide of the decline of the church and hold on to our children by effectively passing on our faith to them. Thanks for listening. When I was about 14 or 15 years old, uh, my family took a trip out to Oregon, and uh, they met up with uh, one of my dad's old uh, kind of college roommates. It happened to be uh, his college roommate's daughter's, I think, 15th birthday, and so the the special prize or or present for the 15th birthday was going to be... um, white water rafting for some reason that's what this young lady wanted to do and so i got to embark here on this journey of white water rafting and of course anyone who's been on this you may know you put on a very tight vest and you get very clear instructions from the guide as to what to do and i remember distinctly our guide telling us as she was in the back with the with the rudder helping direct the raft that there was this one particular place in the rapids that was extremely dangerous. It's where there was an enormous boulder to which the waters cut under and then rose up. And if you got caught in that current, it could capsize the entire raft. And so with very clear warnings to all of us, she gave us instruction how to avoid it. And then she put me in the front <laughs> with the birthday girl. So it was, it was me and I think her name was Brianna. And so we were there in the front trying to think of steering the raft while the current, you wouldn't believe it, took us, where Where can you suppose it took us? Right into the boulder. And I remember very vividly how as the raft dipped down and as it began to shoot up and begin to capsize, time began to slow <laughs> down. And I remember uh, just being uh, lifted up and feeling uh, almost like weightlessness, but then peering off to my left, noticing Brianna was was falling out, dunking into the rapids right there behind the boulder. And in slow motion, heroic form, I reached out. <laughs> and I grabbed at the very last second, just on uh, to the grasp of her life vest, and pulled her back into the raft. Now that sounds pretty fantastic, right? I have picture proof, folks. I can, <laughs> I can prove that this has happened. So because this was the most tumultuous place, they actually had a photographer taking pictures of the moment. So you will see that's me right there, uh, a 14-year-old haircut, and this right here is Brianna. And as we progress, you'll see that uh, there's the boulder that it's hitting. You'll notice uh, Brianna there falling out and then reaching over, grabbing hold of her. I might also point out to you our instructor, notice her, (laughs) falling out of the raft, and then here... The final picture, you see Brianna being pulled uh, back into safety here. Um, and our instructor just, just completely in the water. So I, I, that, that picture came to my mind because the currents will take you where they want to take you. And what is your response to that? And you and I live in a day and an age where the cultural currents want to move God's people to a place we shouldn't be. The culture around you wants to capsize you. 
And there is something that is given to you and I that is a greatest treasure above all. And in the church, it needs not be overlooked. It is our next generation, the children that we have. I'll tell you this, the current of our world would love nothing more than to have them swept away in the direction that it would want to carry them. In preparation uh, for this message, I have just overwhelmed myself with statistics. Uh, This coming from Gallup polls showing that over the last 60 years, church attendance, that do you attend church, asked of Christians, floated around the 70s until about 20 years ago. About 1999, you'll notice something happens in a trend here on the scale. Does everybody see the direction that it happened about 20 years ago? Things started to change. In fact, as we have reached here the end of a decade, uh, this was another um, a statistic uh, given from Barna Research. Uh, looking to the different demographic uh, subsets in the church, uh, the first is called the silent generation, those born uh, from the mid-40s to the mid-60s. If that's you, I would ask you to raise your hand, but I'd probably get in trouble for doing that. But um, if that's you, then you belong here uh, to the silent generation. Uh, Over the last decade, um, the little gray part of the graph there shows a drop in church attendance among this generation. The little red uh, mark there shows an increase in those who, when they answered the poll, said, we're not affiliated with church anymore. This is the percentage difference of a decade, 2009 to 2020, to the end of 2019. If you belong to that generation, there are less of you attending church, and there are more of you who say, I'm not affiliated with any church. So the next generation, maybe they solved it, but as you can see, they haven't. The baby boomer generation, you know if that's you, uh, you, you fill that demographic uh, instead of a 2% drop, it was an 8% decline in church attendance. So there, in, in the course of a decade, in the course of 10 years, there is 8% less baby boomers saying that we attend church. They've left church. And there is an increase of 4% who say we're, we're no longer affiliated. If I go to the next generation, these are called Gen Xers, uh, those born up right to the uh, start of the 80s or into the mid-80s. Uh, It gets even a little bit worse over the last decade. There's even more. It's the next slide that's most troublesome. Uh, These are the millennials. And then of of millennial generation of the last decade, they are 16 points down. 16% less of them are now attending church. And look at the increase. 13% more are now saying, we're not interested in church. We're not, we're not even Christian. This ought to be scary up until the first three, but this one right here ought to give us pause. Um, I actually ran kind of a projection that if this were continue, to continue in the same kind of exponential growth that it is, the next generation after millennials are those who are called the connected generation. Now, why do you suppose they're called connected? Who's got a smartphone? Yeah, that's right. So of the connected generation, uh, it was LifeWay Research says that 18 to 22-year-olds, 66% of them are leaving the church never to return. 
That's two out of every three. So you could see that this is going to continue to increase. Now, there's one generation that comes after the connected generation. You saw them do the hokey pokey here just a moment ago. Right? You, you saw them for the children's message. This generation, they're not connected to anything yet. They're not millennial. They're not Gen Xers. I've called them the final generation. And the reason why I've entitled this sermon series The Final Generation is to cause a sense of unrest in your hearts. There is an epidemic problem in churches today. Culturally, the river current is moving people away from church, but it is moving people away from church in no greater area than your children. Now, can you imagine if in your own home, if you have three kids and two of them went missing, what would you do? Right? You you can see how the response, if you thought in my own home, if 66% of them were leaving not to return, because do not mistake this. The church is a family. And if your family, your nuclear family that you're part of, if two out of three of them went missing, you wouldn't sit back and think like many pastors do and many articles that I've read on this say, well, they'll come back. Oh, they'll return. They'll come back. Never has this occurred. Not in America, not in any statistic that I can find in church history where we have so many young people who are not coming to church. My desire in this series and for today specifically, is to give us the first step in fixing this problem. We have to address it, and we have to address it head on. The only solution for our children will require the participation of the entire church. So if you're here this morning, we need your help. Wherever God has gifted you and called you to work, we need as a family To do what I did for Brianna in that uh, illustration. The currents want to take you this way. Do you know what you need to do to your children? You need to hold on to them. You and I need to hold on with white knuckled grip. Even in the illustration that I showed you, the instructor, the one who should have been leading us, fell out the boat. I am ashamed to say that there are more and more pastors and church leaders today who are falling out of the boat to the whim of cultural currents. What about you? What about grace? What about this family? And so hopefully this is sobering. You'll notice that the sermon artwork for this, the front of the bulletin, if you have it, is a picture of our pews. Who's sitting in those pews? That is what will happen. I had lunch this past week with, with a pastor who was telling me that in his own church where he worships, in the 80s, they had upwards of six to 700 people attending. Do you know how many they have today? 30, 40, if they're lucky. This is what has happened. Do you know how many young people? He says the average age of his congregation, average, including all the ages of the children, is in the 70s. By when he joined the church, he brought the, the mean age down when he joined. And it's epidemic in our world today, but of no demographic is it more ravaging than in our youth and in our young people. And so this is, this is what we need to focus our attention on. If we do nothing, this will be the final generation. If we do nothing, what you see before you is it. And there are so many churches who are literally dying. 
not just dying in a metaphorical sense, but literally just growing old and one by one being ushered down the aisle for a funeral memorial service until the last one comes and then that's it. Now, let me ask you the question. I need a good hearty yes or no. Are you okay with this? No. Are you okay with this? No. This needs to burn under your skin, church. This needs to be something that we collectively say we're all on board with. One of the things I'm most thankful for here at Grace is when I first started, there was a mission survey that was done. And of all the areas in this church, your desire was to see more than anything given for resources, time, and attention to our children. Boy, we sure have been blessed here at Grace, haven't we? I want to thank all the teachers, again, who give of their time to teach. Um, I, I was uh, reminded, uh, my wife, she, she sometimes tells me this, we still need more volunteers. So um, maybe you're feeling uh, just leading in your life to say, I think I could help out for one Sunday a month and teach over there. But just so you know, that need still exists. But what a blessing we have here at Grace. This cannot be our future. And it won't be if we follow God's word. There's hope there. This won't be the final generation as long as we follow God's word. So uh, for the remainder of our time, what we're going to do is read through uh, a passage out of the book of 1 Samuel. I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to please turn there. Page 380 in the Pew Bibles. I'm going to read through uh, the chapter, and then I am very quickly, because we have a lot going on today, I'm very quickly going to make my way through some important observations for what we need to learn from God's Word today. Uh, The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1. I'm reading out of the New International Version. I invite you to follow along in whatever version you have with you today. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorstep of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will look or you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were moving, but her voice 
was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to her home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with, lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all of his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an ephath of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. All right, thank you for your attention to God's word. One chapter is quite a bit to digest. I want to I point out to you as the author here begins, he begins with showing Hannah is facing an insurmountable task. It's like a giant boulder in her way that she cannot get around. In fact, there are a lot of problems going on in this story. Let me, let me point out a few of them for you. Uh, to begin with, verse 2 says that Elkanah had two wives. Let me tell you what. Problem, problem. Right there. You don't have to go any further than verse 2. Uh, two wives is not a good idea, although God had allowed for uh, polygamy to happen. It was never part of his plan. Uh, I... Just for sake of time, I won't get more preachy on that. Hopefully you understand that. All right. Um, the, the second problem here in verse 2, not only are there two wives, but Penina, the second wife, has children. Uh, commentators believe that the reason why Elkanah had to take a second wife was because the first one didn't what? Couldn't have any children. And so Elkanah here has a second wife, and Penina has lots of sons and daughters, but Hannah has none. It's a second problem. Third problem shows up in verse 3. They're going to worship the Lord at Shiloh. Now, that wouldn't seem like a problem. It's a problem because of the two priests who are there. These two bonehead guys, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, you may not know their story, but we are going to look at their story in future messages. Trust me for now. If you're going to a church with a Hophni and a Phinehas, you should, you should maybe look for a different church. They're, 
Problems going on right there. Uh, problem number four comes in verse five. You'll notice that Elkanah gives Hannah a double portion. Did you ever catch that? Right? When sacrifices time were to be made, Penina got some, but Hannah got double. Why'd she get double? Because she, well, he loved her, but she didn't have any children. Women, I, I know that you know this is true. As nice as the guy is trying to be here, what is that double portion a reminder of? The fact that she can't have kids. As thoughtful as he's trying to be here, you can just sense that in the heart of Hannah, there is this continuing reminder of her inability to do here what God has um, given women the privilege of being able to do. Uh, problem number five shows up in verse six. Uh, her rival kept provoking her. What? what is going on in this family? A lot of dysfunction here. Uh, problem number six, provoking her um, still till she wept. Problem number seven, it got so bad she started to develop an eating disorder. Did everybody catch that? Verse 7, so now she's not eating anymore. Problem number 9 shows up in verse 9, and it has to do with Eli. I've got a lot more I like to say about Eli, but one of the things that a priest doesn't do is sit down. And so you can tell we've already got the, the priest's perspective on things is going to be skewed. In fact, here this poor woman is praying, and what does the priest say? Stop getting what? He thinks she's drunk, for goodness sakes. The book of Hebrews tells us that a priest performs his duties and he stands before the altar. It's only Jesus who gets to sit down because Jesus, as a high priest, has offered a sacrifice that's done once for all, but not Eli. You don't sit down, Eli. You should be there working. So there's problem number nine. Problem number 10 is where she's getting blamed for being drunk. Can you tell me there's a lot of problems? You guys see this? A lot of problems going on here. It's an insurmountable current boulder in front of her. It's a mountain she can't get over. And so do you know what she does? She prays. I'm going to give you today step number one. If, you're going to, if you and I are going to hold on to this generation, if we are going to refuse to follow the course of the culture and the current and hold on to our kids, step number one is getting on our knees. And that's what Hannah does. And so here, here's what I want you to see from her, uh, her model. Th three, three perspectives. Number one, the child was given by the Lord. Hannah understands that. Praying for a son and her heart for her child recognizes that the child is given by the Lord. Secondly, Hannah understands because Samuel is given by the Lord, guess who Samuel belongs to? Samuel belongs to the Lord. Uh, without getting too far ahead of myself, your children do not belong to you. Your children belong to the Lord. You will cause a great upheaval even in your own home as parents and grandparents if you miss this one point. God has entrusted their care to you, but they don't belong to you. They are a gift from the Lord. It's in Ruth that we read that conception is given by God alone. God is the one who allows women to conceive and so every child is a gift from God, belongs to God, ought to be, for our final point here, returned or given to God. It's these three points that I want to draw your attention to. It's often missed in the text. You'll see it over in verse 5 and 6. Please look with me once more. Uh, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And what does it say? We, we skip over that. 
pretty quickly that it was the Lord who was the one who closed her womb. It was, this was part of God's design and plan. That there would be a measure of faith given to Hannah that she would humble herself. And that in God's design, a model would be given even to us to know how we should treat our children. To know that they come from God. They belong to God and they need to be given back to him. So with that in mind, I, I, cannot, I can't just get to application so quick without giving you one other little nugget of observation. And that's just some very quick observations on prayer. Since prayer is step number one in this strategy, let me just show you a couple things on prayer. The first is that when uh, Hannah had a, uh, an impossible task in front of her, what did she do? She prayed, right? She didn't reach into her bank account. She didn't call the neighbor for help. She went to the Lord. So that's number one with prayer. Number two, Hannah's prayer is from the heart. Um, It is possible to pray from the heart even when you recite a prayer or when you read a prayer, but it's kind of hard to do. It's a little bit hard to pray from the heart if you're just reading it off of a piece of paper. Even the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have that memorized? Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's easy to just let the words roll off our tongue. Let, be, be warned on this. That's not how you should pray. Hannah is our model. Hannah is praying from her heart. In fact, there she is before the altar um, in such a state, wrestling with this need from her heart that she confuses even the priest. So when you pray, we need to be like Hannah. We need to pray from our heart. And lastly, Hannah was changed through prayer before her circumstances changed. I'm going to come back to three another Sunday. I got a lot more I need to say on that. Simply recognize this. If you look back in the text, um, it says in verse uh, 17, Eli said, go in peace. May the Lord, the God of Israel, grant what you've asked of him. She said, may a servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Why? Because she was pregnant? circumstances hadn't changed. Do you know what the next verse says? The next verse says they went to church and worshiped. Why? Because what she did was she took the mountain that was in front of her. She took the boulder that she could not carry. And she gave it to the Lord through prayer. Again, I got a lot more I want to say in that, but suffice it to say for now that when you're using prayer properly, it will change you because you will take whatever the difficulty you're facing is and you're going to give it to God. Believe me, I've been doing that the last couple of weeks. Whatever you're facing, give it to God. And he, we're told in the book of Philippians, he will give you peace that surpasses understanding so I, that, that was just quick. That was a little bonus there. All right, here we go. What, these are the concluding points I need to point out to you. Uh, as far as Hannah goes, her heart and the heart of this parent was to see her child dwell with the Lord. That was her heart. Um, uh, I want you to notice on these conclusions, they all form one long sentence. So that's a comma after the first one there. Her desire was that her child would walk with the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How long do you want your children to walk with the Lord? You know, when they feel like it, you know, just just when life's hard. How long? That's right. This is the desire of any parent to see their their children walk with God, dwell with God. That's Hannah's heart. Why did she feel that way? Because she knew the child was given from the Lord. Her desire to have her child walk with the Lord came 
from an internal understanding, the child doesn't belong to me. The child belongs to the Lord. That's why she wants the child to walk with the Lord and dwell with him. That's why she brings him to the temple. And so what does she do? She makes preparations and plans to give her child to the Lord. This is the story that we've just walked through in conclusion form. The heart of the parent was to see her child dwell with the Lord because she knew the child was given from the Lord. So she made preparations and plans to give her child to the Lord. I should probably put the word back in there. Give the child back to the Lord. Three ways she did that. She waited for the right age. This is very important, parents. This was the call for our time of communion today. I'm counting on you, moms and dads, to recognize your own child's development for this. This is exactly what Hannah did. She waited till he was the right age. Secondly, she accompanied him and brought him to the temple. She didn't send him with grandma. She took him there. And lastly, she brought sacrifices along with her. Uh, I hope you're seeing a pattern here because I'm going to give you the application now. Everybody ready? Step number one, we need to pray. That's step number one. I honestly feel like I don't need to go any further than that, but trust me, in the next couple of weeks, as we have opportunity to look and give attention to repairing this problem within our culture, we don't, we don't outgrow this one. This stays. Prayer is step number one. Step number two is to give your children to the Lord because they are from the Lord. Now, let me just say that you might be sitting here this morning and you, you might think, well, that sounds good, but how do you do that? I, I give your child the Lord? Ow! What, what does that even look like? That's what we're going to talk about. So this is a stay tuned part one of many installments as to how we do step two. Okay, How do we give our children to the Lord? That's what we're going to unpack as we move forward in this. And then uh, step number three, uh, you need to make preparations for it. So you can't just say it. You can't just hope it happens by accident. It won't happen by accident. Do you know what will happen by accident? Your children will walk out this door and they will not come back. That's what will happen if we do nothing. So you have to make preparations. What did Hannah do? Number one, you need to pay attention to their developmental age. You as parents, as grandparents, need to see where they're at in understanding and identifying the discipling process of where they are. That's what Hannah did. She, she waited to the right age. We need to do the same thing in recognizing discipling our own children. Uh, number two, you need to bring them to church. Oh, I'm going to preach that later, folks. You can count on, you can count on that. Children, okay, they get to a certain age, they do not want to come to church. You need to bring them to church. Uh, just as a strong asterisk on that comment, going to church doesn't save you. All right, that doesn't make you righteous. It is, however, the community of faith where we learn how to say no to those fleshy desires and how to say yes to God. This is the place where we collectively come together to do that. If you're hoping your kids are going to learn that on Facebook, they won't. You need to bring them to church. Number three, it will take sacrifice. Hannah knew that. She brought sacrifices with her as she presented her child back to God. Do not think for a moment that the answer to solving this major epidemic in our world will be easy. It will take effort. And we will have to sacrifice to get it done. In fact, you know what? You might be, mom and dad, you might not be very popular with your teenager. 
That may be a sacrifice that you get to make in order to lead them to Christ and to pass the faith on to them. Think of all the things that you could give your kids. You give them an inheritance, right? A lot of people working, giving my kids an inheritance someday. Uh, how about uh, physical talents, sport, sporting events? Do you know the problem with sports in our world today? I'm getting a little preachy. I'm over my time. I don't even care. <laughs> it used to be that schools and coaches understood that Wednesdays were reserved for church attendance for youth. Guess when mandatory practices are now? It used to be Sundays were a time of church. Guess when sports have taken over another day of the week? Sundays. Do you see the current? It will capsize your family and it will train wreck the church. They're not going to change. You will have to sacrifice something. And parents spend an absolute huge amount of time working on giving their kids an inheritance. Parents spend an absolute huge amount of time getting their kids prepared for sports. Believe me, the the sports talent will fade over time. That will fade. What's going to happen to all that inheritance money? Come on, easy come, easy. What about the time that you're spending on their faith? Is there anything more valuable that you could offer your child than passing on your faith? And if that's true, how much time are you investing in it? Get ready for number three. Grace here in Sagola will not be. A... The word I'm looking for is. It starts with a C. I can't remember what it is. It has to do with when there's when there's a loss, a collateral damage. What's the word for that? Someone help me. Uh, a uh... Casualty? casualty. Thank you. Casualty. CJ. A plus for the day. <laughs> I can't let that happen. You can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. One little bonus thing as, a, as, as I conclude here. Do you know what Hannah means? The name Hannah? You're going to love it. It means grace. So if Hannah was praying, grace, you need to be praying. 